another edition of Outside is Overrated. This is episode 23, looking into The Legend of Zelda. It's also the 16th consecutive month that we've done a show, and I am super duper proud of that. Today, we are going to dive into a legend, The Legend of Zelda. We're going to talk about the history of the franchise, dive into Wind Waker, and rank the mainline entries. Joining me today are Scott and Brian. How are you guys? What have you been up to? I'm doing pretty good. That is Scott. Welcome back, Scott. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We're kind of doing this uh, quarantine version. Yeah, probably I, explain. Yeah, I guess <laughs> Got I a little bit of a different setup than usual. Yeah, good point. So we live in the state of Minnesota. The state of Minnesota has a shelter at home order right now. So we are recording online. Tom figured out how his fancy equipment works, and we are all broadcasting from our homes, looking at each other on a Google Hangout. Scott is in bed. I am. My bed is very comfy, I'm discovering. (laughs) Also joining us for the first time in a long time, Brian is back on the show. Brian has done two shows with us before, Metal Gear Solid and the Super NES Classic. Welcome back, Brian. Hey, I've been so excited for this, like, I can't even tell you. So, like... Yeah, you wrote in the show notes that you have been grabbing every dick you see. It's, well, but that's just, that's kind of a normal day. That's not actually because I'm excited. That's just kind of more standard Thursday. Uh, The fact that I'm doing a podcast with you, Tom, is wonderful. But to add Scott into this, because he was my little background for Scott and I, he was my roommate for more than a decade, I think. And we actually performed each other's weddings. That's how far back Scott and I go. So this is a lot of discussion that we've had in our living room. And this time we're just recording it. We're very close. Yeah. (laughs) What have you guys been playing lately? I just finished uh, the Resident Evil 2 remake recently, which I absolutely loved. That game is just awesome. Did you like the original when it came out? I did, yeah. I was a big fan of that one, too. I don't really mind the tank controls as much as a lot of people do. Mm. I thought it kind of set up for some cool perspectives and, you know, like different different shots they had some cool artwork they could feature by being able to just place the camera wherever they wanted but having the the free form camera like over the shoulder being able to move wherever you want is is you know so much better it makes it that much more playable does and it make it does it make it less scary at times because like i remember down that hallway they force you to look at that window 40 times because of the force perspective and then right. like the 50th time like is it zombies or dogs come flying through and you're like supposed to shit your pants yeah, that was in the in the first one. But no, they do a very good job of they, like they change a few things to uh kind of increase the tension because in the first one it's it's a lot brighter, but you know, they have that forced perspective so they they can they can set up the scene the way they want it. But in this one, it's like they'll just they can't do that forced perspective perspective thing, so they'll just shut off all the lights and give you a flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then you're like anything you see move at all makes you jump and turn so they they have their ways of keeping it plenty scary <laughs> that's awesome do you like the remake better or worse than number seven resident evil seven? Oh, that's close because i i recently played seven too and i really really liked that one i don't know it's it's a it's a toss-up you know two is just more fresh in my mind because i just got done with it but Seven did some really cool things with the plot that I really liked and wasn't expecting out of a Resident Evil game. Like, two, the story is pretty straightforward. You know, you, you go into a town infested with zombies and then you try to shoot your way out and survive. But 
7 had some twists in it that I wasn't expecting and really ended up liking. That's awesome. Then thinking about your Rushmore of gaming, does Resident Evil crack like your top three franchises? Me? Oh, no. I love Resident Evil, but it's it's not in my top three. Got it. Brian, what have you been playing lately? A couple of different things. So my wife and I still are playing a little uh, PlayStation game called Dragon's Crown. It's kind of a, it's a 2D beat-em-up, but it has kind of like a Diablo feel to it. So um, we tried to have Kelsey play Diablo with me, but she kind of got overwhelmed with some of the complexity of, of the control scheme. Not that it's really hard, but you have to have a little bit of um, strategic sequencing to how you do moves, which is just kind of a lot. So this one's more 2D beat-em-up. And she plays a fighter. It's got tons of con, tons of armor. And she loves being like an eight-foot tank. Like, that's what she does. So we have now just rolled over level 100 in that game. And she's like, well, what do these numbers mean? I'm like, that means we've put in 62 hours. Oh, it's been a great 62 hours, hasn't it? I'm like, yeah, it has been. <laughs> so that's that's been super fun. Playing by myself, I'm still playing a little bit of Borderlands 3. Um, and then I picked up Doom Eternal. Okay, and... two separate threads here. First off, how do you like Borderlands 3? I like Borderlands 3 a lot. I don't think the story is as good as 2. But I think Handsome Jack is kind of a tough enemy or a tough villain to overcome. And I know that with the twins, they wanted them to be like annoying YouTubers, which they drilled. And that's awesome. But they're annoying YouTubers. And that's kind of getting old later in the story. I've beaten it like six times. I'm not really a big fan of the, you know, social media people. Like they did that with Spider-Man, too. They had a character named Screwball who is all about getting more likes and tweets and posting your things on social media sites and it just drove me crazy yeah Yeah, well it's a good thing you're friends with me dude (laughs) well you're doing it in the real world you're not a video game character (laughs) noted keep that crap out of my games so between the twins and then uh for those of you who have played the character ava if if there's a mod that lets me kill a npc on my ship it's I'm willing to download it. I hate her so much. She's just poorly, poorly, poorly written. And it kind of wrecks the back half of the, the story for me. But the gameplay itself is a ton of fun. I'm playing as a, my main character is a, a Mose, And she's tremendously underpowered, but I'm still having a ton of fun. So That's awesome. All right, Doom Eternal. This is new. This just came out. Tell us everything about Doom Eternal. <laughs> Doom Eternal is phenomenal. Um, Doom 2016, I picked up and it really punished you for not moving. And it's Doom's, the the way that the new Doom is kind of working out is fun because essentially if you stagger an enemy, you can get what's called a glory kill where you go on, you do a melee and you get an animation of an execution, but you get life back. This version amps up the speed of things even further. So like some of the tricks that you learned in the first one, you really have to rely on on this one, but it's, it's oddly a lot about resource management. So if you chainsaw an enemy, it drops ammo and this is ammo that replenishes all guns once you use the chainsaw charge it takes some time to get it back you have what's called a flame belch which is a flamethrower you can hit with enemies if you kill them while they're still burning they drop armor pieces and then if a guy is staggered and you do a melee kill on them that's how you get life so it's this crazy dynamic of as you're playing not only are you aware of where everything is spatially and you're kiting half the time but you're also having to be aware of what your resources look like to figure out what you need to be picking up as you go so it's there's a little bit of a learning curve to it because it is fast and the soundtrack is it's all just heavy metal riff guitars and drums, and it makes you want to kill shit. It makes you want to murder. It's That's so much part fun. part of the reason that I would want to play that game. Oh, that guy the is so good. Sounds awesome. Yeah, he is so good. 
uh, I forget the guy's name. I'm I'm on the Doom subreddit, but like all these people are like, when are they when are they releasing the soundtrack of the game? They're like, I just want to listen to it in my car, which I don't feel like is a safe choice, but whatever, <laughs> it's fine. It may promote eating. Yeah. <laughs> And murdering everybody, apparently. I... So it's super fun. Buy it. It's really fun. So I got it on disc so Scott can get it next, and then Tom can go to you. So Yeah, and it can live on my shelf forever, like your copy of 2016 Doom and your copy of Far Cry 5. Is that where it is? I was just wondering where that Doom was. Yeah, I got it. Sorry. I want to play that one problem. first, so I'll borrow that one. Yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> if this quarantine ever lists, I've been playing The Division 2. It is you a like fun it? game. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, I mean, the story is laughable. I thought that Ghost Recon Wildlands had a more interesting story. But the shooting is fun, and you can have a four-player squad. So, like, we have our core group of four guys, me and Joey and Lance and Eric Rivard, and uh, we've had a lot of fun playing with it. Unfortunately, when I had to jump off that to start playing Wind Waker to get ready for this show, they just plowed right through to level cap. So level uh, level cap is 30. I'm at like level 13 or 14. So I don't know if I'm ever going to play with my friends again in that game. So that's a little sad. See, that was the nice thing about Borderlands 3. One of the things I really liked is how when we play, so like say I'm a level 50, Scott's like level 10, we can play online together and we can actually, the game makes it so anyone Scott encounters is to his level and whoever I encounter is to mine. So you can play with your friends that aren't the same level and the game doesn't change. I think that's such a cool thing. Yeah, I think more games should do that going forward. And I think a lot of them will, seeing how Borderlands 3 has done that. Because that is a huge problem with a lot of multiplayer games, is if you you lose your pacing with your group of friends, they just kind of take off. And you're like, well, it's impossible to jump back in, so I guess I'm done with the game, you know? Yeah, early on we were playing The Division, and one of our friends, uh, Lance... He was on spring break from school, so he was playing a lot more than us. He was four or five levels higher, and so like he jumped into our game, and all the enemies scaled up to him, and uh, he didn't catch up to where like we were in the middle of a firefight in like this parking garage, and it took him a few minutes to get over to us. So like these enemies scaled up, and we were just like pinned down. We couldn't hurt him. It's like <laughs> Lance, can you please hurry up, Lance? Can you? Uh... <laughs> we're kind of waiting on you here. We're we're screwed without you, dude. What? <laughs> Very fun game, and they were practically giving it away. Like, there are copies on sale for, like, five bucks just a few weeks ago. So if you see The Division on sale, I'd say jump on it. OIO has our official guild, our podcast guild. Good stuff. Before we launch into our main topic of The Legend of Zelda today, we would like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. You can also follow us on social at over... Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Tom Sedlachik, O-I-O. That's T-O-M-S-E-D-L-A-C-E-K-O-I-O on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. Anything you guys want to plug for social media? I'm going to say, why don't check out premierhealthmn.com. I know that company well. I'm a big fan. The Legend of Zelda. Every legend has an opening chapter. The Legend of Zelda came out... February 21st, 1986 in Japan, and the following summer in North America. I know all three of us have nostalgia for this game. It uh, was one of the first huge video games in our country. What are your earliest memories with The Legend of Zelda? I uh, remember playing it as a kid. I was probably about five years old when it came out. Um, I I was more into like Mario... Um, the side-scrolling games. Uh, I didn't really get into it much myself, but I remember going over to a friend's house 
and their dad used to play it all the time he was like playing it religiously and i remember it was it was the weirdest thing because it was it's the first game that at least i'm pretty sure it was the first game on nes that you could save it had a battery backup and whenever he would he, he told us you know do not touch the system until i shut it down properly because you have to like go up and hold the reset button as you power it down so that it saves properly it was very strange for the time but that was that was probably one of the first memories that i have of the game that's awesome for me i played it at my neighbor's house for hours and hours and hours we never beat it i can't remember how far we got but we sure wandered around and shot our sword at shitty enemies for a long time <laughs> I eventually beat it maybe five, six years ago when I was still living in an apartment. I downloaded it on the Wii, and originally I was going to have Phoenix play through it, and she kind of lost interest early, and I'm like, oh, I'll just pick it up, and then I just went all the way through it. I'm like, oh, cool, I did it. Hooray, I win. Yeah, I do also remember the the Zelda commercial like the ori- for the original game. <laughs> Some you know guy in Link cosplay, basically. <laughs> running around and going Zelda Zelda it's so weird to still watch it it's on YouTube I watched it the other day and he's like it's like he's in an insane asylum yeah it's, I, it's super weird I love old Nintendo commercials they're like they do not hold up but they're so great to watch <laughs> I, uh, I don't have the memories of that first one like you guys do I remember seeing it at main attractions in Mora and I remember seeing it at festival foods and being like well it's weird that this cart is like is is gold I thought that was a very odd thing but I didn't understand what the game was my introduction was Link's Adventure so Legend of Zelda 2 and watching my stepmom beat that game which is insane to think of now because it's it's considered by a lot of people to be one of the hardest games you can play on the nes one of my favorite youtubers right now named ryu car is going through it and kelsey and i were watching him the other day and it's like i forgot that when you die in a temple once you use your, lose your three guys it dumps you at the back at the beginning of the game and you have to trek your ass across the map back to where you were and like hope to god you don't die on the way so she had graph paper where she drew out maps and i remember she'd call her brother who had beaten the game and oh yep in this temple you gotta go to the far left in this lower quadrant and fall through the floor because it's a fake wall it's like oh my god so that i didn't play any legend of zelda until link's awakening because i was like i am not interested in going through a game like that even as a kid i remember looking at that and going this is too hard (laughs) (laughs) and zelda's not known for being hard anymore so it's just funny that i saw the black sheep yeah, it, there's a lot of games. There's a lot of gaming history that I want to go back and experience. I'm never going to play that game ever for anything. I, I beat it in 2006 when I lived with Scott, and I think Dylan was living with us in Uptown, and it was, it was hard then. I play a lot of hard games nowadays, but that was that was a test of patience. Holy shit! God. <laughs> 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 <sighs> Thinking about the history of The Legend of Zelda, I personally know very little about how the franchise started, so I thought we'd play a little game here. Brian did some nice prep work. We're going to play a game of two truths and a lie. Brian's going to tell us three statements, and it's going to be up to Scott and I to determine which one of those three statements is untrue. How's that sound, cool. guys? All Sounds right. fun. All right, so the hope here is I know that, Tom, you don't have a crazy background with the series, so I don't think you're going to be the hard one to fool, not to just say that you're not smart, but I think Scott was the one I was hoping if I can trick Scott on at least two of these, I was going to consider it to be a, a, a victory. Let me just so, say, fuck you, Brian. Proceed. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. 
and away we go. First uh, offense taken. <laughs> You're no well, longer invited to the holiday party, and go. My my face was all over your junk in sock form, so believe me, it's it's burned in there deep. So okay, moving on. We got uh, question one. So again, I'm going to read off all three, and then you guys want to give me your guess at the end of it. So question one, F. Scott Fitzgerald of the Great Gatsby's wife was named Zelda and is the namesake of Princess Zelda. Two, Shigeru Miyamoto, which is the creator of the Legend of Zelda series and Mario and a bunch of others, was heavily inspired by Indiana Jones. And three, Link was almost named Lars, a nod to the famous Archduke of Belgium. I think that the untrue one is uh, the first one. Was that F. Scott Fitzgerald? Nope, that's the one that I know for sure is true. Well, shit, that's what I got. <laughs> See? Well, Tom, guess me ripping on you is well, well worth saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I do know that Miyamoto was a big fan of uh, a lot of movies back then. Um, but when did Indiana Jones come out? Was it pre-1986 and however long the development was? I want to say Raiders of the Lost Ark was either 81 or 82. And that one's, or maybe even 83 or 84, but it's early 80s because it's always yeah. earlier than I thought. Because I think Temple of Doom was 86. Yeah, that's a little um, later. Right. But, uh, so yeah, the ones before that would be earlier. So I could see him being inspired by Indiana Jones. Um, I don't think that it inspired Zelda, though. Um, so I'm going to say that that one's the lie which one's the lie that the the indiana jones one i don't think i've ever heard link called lars but i i feel like that could be more true than than indiana jones okay so shigeru miyamoto was heavily inspired by indiana jones you think it's false <laughs> yeah okay you're both wrong so uh -oh. <laughs> uh, scott yeah, Scott Fitzgerald. So he wrote The Great Gatsby, um, and his wife was apparently like she's she's a very powerful feminist and a crazy, uh, powerful writer. So she was like a woman of like kind of mystery and intrigue, and she was a very strong figure. That's where they got the name Zelda. So you were right there, Scott. Um, Shigeru Miyamoto had seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he's like he wanted that feeling, that sense of adventure, that wildly like what am I going to find around the next corner? So that's he said that that had really inspired him. He wanted players to feel that. And then I made up Link was almost named Lars, a nod to the famous Archduke of Belgium. Hmm. I almost said Lunk, but you would have known what I meant, Scott. So I didn't yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would have been a dead giveaway. <laughs> Cool. All right, I got one down. All right, one, one, one. All right, you guys ready for two? Bring it yep. on. Okay. All right, question number two. Um, you can actually hear the Bacoblins pick their nose in Breath of the Wild. Question two. The legendary hookshot was conceived by a programmer watching his daughter shoot a straw wrapper at her sister in a restaurant. And then three. You could defeat the pole's voice in the original Legend of Zelda by speaking to it with your own voice. Hmm. I don't know what with the fuck your... you're talking about with the third one, so I'm going to say that one is untrue. Yeah, I'm not sure what you mean by with your own voice. Do you mean like the player? The player would actually speak to kill it. Oh. Um, unless you had some kind of peripheral, that one has to be false. Um, I think the, the Bokoblin picking their boogers is... I think that one's true. <laughs> um... And then the what was the second one? The hookshot inspired by shooting straws. 
The legendary hookshot was conceived by a programmer watching his daughter shoot a straw wrapper at her sister in a restaurant. Um, I feel like that one's true as well. So I'll go with the ghosts. Okay. Uh, yeah, killing the pose with with your voice is the false one. You're both wrong Tom? again. Oh, it did Tom no say way. that one already? Yep. <laughs> Tom already said the third one. Oh, okay. Okay, so his name is Horseshoe. I know. So the the Bacoblin, the Bacoblin thing was super funny because it was one of the sound directors. It's had, oh God, it's, this is ah, Tom, this is where this is where you and I get destroyed by Japanese names. <laughs> Scott rolls his eyes. Uh, Hajima Wakai. Uh, it's a, not a very loud noise, but we created it by sticking a finger in a wet cloth and squishing it around. <laughs> so it's like one of the ambient things. If you get close to a Bacoblin, you can like hear the sound. I'm like, well, that's attention to detail. Um, <laughs> In the original Legend of Zelda, for the and and this one was a little maybe deceiving, but in the in the original Legend of Zelda for the Famicom, so the Japanese NES, um, there was a microphone built into the controller, so you oh, just what? had to yep, you just had to say something loudly, and it would kill the pole's voice. That's why we, in the instruction manual it says the pole's voice is large ears, um, make it vulnerable to sound, but the the, the NES didn't have that piece of technology in the controller but it's still they didn't tell whoever the hell was doing the translating or the instruction booklet so it still made it in there so that actually was a thing in the J japanese version and then i made up the legendary hookshot was conceived by a programmer watching his daughter shoot a straw wrapper at her sister in a restaurant okay right. so you're cheating by bringing in the japanese version it's still a truth <laughs> it is still <laughs> I'm a truth. if i'm truth... playing the legend of zelda on nes in america i can't do that oh, i'm sorry <laughs> that the truth ends at at our border. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> President. <laughs> oh. Brian, you are surprisingly good at this game. This is wonderful. What have yeah. you got for number three? I I had I ran these by my younger brother yesterday just to check, and he's like, yeah, those sound like real things. I'm like, good. Okay. Yeah. Question three. So I'll just go question one. Uh, the current world record speed run for the original Legend of Zelda is 40 minutes and 13 seconds. Um, question two. In this, or statement two, should I say, in this original concept, in, in its original concept, there we go, the pieces of the Triforce that Link collects are actually computer microchips, or were supposed to be computer microchips. And then statement three is, you can find Link's grave in the original Final Fantasy in Japan. Oh, you find Link's um, grave in the original Final Fantasy in Japan? So yeah, the, the very first Final Fantasy game in Japan, you can find Link's grave. Oh, wild. Huh. Well, I've jumped into quick answers on both of these and been horribly wrong. So, Scott, why don't you lead off this time? Oh, if you great. need me to repeat something, let me know. I know I kind of fumbled some of that there. Yeah, I already forgot the first one. The current world record speed run for the original Legend of Zelda is 40 minutes and 13 seconds. Hmm. Does that sound a little like... slow to you, Scott? Yeah, that does sound slow to me. So I lean I... towards one of the other two. I think... Well, no, that would be untrue. So, it's, or, yeah, I guess that feels a little lean towards that one. Yeah, <clears throat> um, I feel like I've heard something about Link being on a gravestone in Final Fantasy. I don't know if I'm just imagining that now. <laughs> um, <laughs> placing ideas in my head. Uh, what was the second one again? Second one was in the original concept of the game, the pieces of the Triforce that Link collects mm. was actually supposed to be computer microchips. Uh, see that one's tricky too because I know that they've considered bringing in technology uh, for a lot of the different games but I don't know if 
if it goes back to the first one and that the Triforce was actually supposed to be high tech. God, I don't know. Yeah, you're making these tough, man. Give me some answers. Which one do you guys think? Okay, I'm going to go with the, the speed run one. Tommy? I want to see what you say to Scott first. <laughs> That's not how this game is played. <laughs> what do you want, Tom? Speed run. This is your time to shine. Speed run. You guys are right. Good job. Yes! Hey, finally, you got, got one. one. The current world record speed run, it's, it's sub 30 minutes. It's like 29 something. Okay. So, and I didn't want to. It's longer than I would have thought because some right. people are crazy with that game. I would have expected like 15 minutes. Oh, it's the. Do you guys, and, and for anybody out there that likes to watch uh, or kind of understand the, the history of a speed run, take a look at a guy named Summoning Salt. Uh, on YouTube, and he he does these little like episodes, kind of breaking down games and what, how the how the speed run started, what were the times, and then what innovations were they finding that wound up actually getting it to its current state. And the Legend of Zelda one's really interesting. I think that guy is Darkwing Duck is his is his handle, and like it was him and another guy, and they just to watch them go back and forth putting this thing down minute by minute by minute. It's just incredible. Like they're actually able to manipulate what items are dropped by enemies by understanding like how many they've killed of a certain variety at a certain time. So it's, it's just wild. It's really cool to watch. Um, the other one is in its original concept, the pieces of the Triforce that Link collects are actually computer microchips. Um, that is true. Uh, that was from the original Legend of Zelda. They actually thought Link, they wanted him to go from the past into the very distant future. And that was that was a concept they played with until they wound up dropping it. Um, and then the third one is you can find Link's Grave in the original Final Fantasy in Japan. That's true. In the first Final Fantasy game, which I have beaten, Kelsey's, it's my wife's favorite video game, so I've beaten that with her oh, like four or five times. That's, it's Edric from Dragon Quest. It's like here lies Sir Edric's grave. Uh, so yeah, yeah. In our version, it's a different character from a different series, but it's still a nod. So okay, that's probably what I was remembering is Edric. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I didn't remember it being Link, but that sounded familiar somehow. Yep. Yep. Okay. So that's he's the legendary ancestor of the hero from the Dragon Quest slash Dragon Warrior series. So right. Cool. All right, you guys, you guys ready for number four? Bring it on. <clears throat> ready. Okay. Statement number one, the voice of Taki in Soul Calibur and Link in Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time are the same actress. Uh, statement two, Breath of the Wild's Hyrule was designed, or sorry, Breath of the, Hi- Breath of the Wild Hyrule <laughs> is 12 times bigger than the entire world of Twilight Princess. And then the third statement is the Triforce is modeled after the Buddhists of India's model of earth, wind, and fire. The Breath of the Wild being 12 times bigger than Twilight Princess, you said, right? Yep. Yeah, that one I'm pretty sure is true. The Taki and Link being the same voice. I'm trying to think of what Taki's voice sounds like right now. Um, (laughs) Opening up those old file drawers. Yeah. (laughs) I could see that one being true, but I don't think it is. What was the third one again? Third one is the Triforce is modeled after the Buddhists of India's model of earth, wind, and fire. To me, that one sounds true, and the Taki one sounds untrue. So I'm going to go against my instincts. I'm going to say that the third one is the untrue statement, that the earth, wind, and fire is the untrue statement. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one either. I don't think I've ever heard that. And I think that the Taki being the same voice actress is more likely. 
I'm I'm gonna go with the same as Tom. I think number three is false. Nice job, you guys. Yeah. You got it. That's correct. So, uh, yep, the woman that does the voice for Taki in Soul Caliber is also the voice of I, I think it's Adult Link and I think it's Young Link. I think it's both, and they just kind of t- they tweaked her pitch for the two. So that's an interesting hmm. fact. Yeah, I know they had to do that to save on uh, file size. Mm-hmm. They they made a bunch of the sounds the same sound and then just change the speed that they play so that the you know because the the cartridge at that time could only hold so much yep fascinating and it's it's interesting too that you say that because there's also <laughs> other things that they've done in the past if you play the original legend of zelda you know how like each of the dungeons is shaped kind of like what what it is like if the lion dungeon looks like a lion the snake dungeon looks like a snake if you take all the dungeons and like fit them together they create a a large clean rectangle and the reason they did that was purely just to be more efficient with space storage and the cartridge i thought that was really really cool Hmm. yeah i just i just remembered the sound effects that i was thinking of was the ganon's laugh in ocarina of time is the same as the poe the poet makes the little laugh the yeah yeah it's just a sped up version of ganon's laugh yeah all right that's That's awesome awesome. brian nice work on the game that was the entire history of the legend of zelda as told through four rounds of two truths and a lie we did all of them right i got one more for you guys actually if you want it oh nice tiebreaker two to two (laughs) yeah Um, by the way that third part that you guys called is a false um uh, present in every Zelda game, the three triangle symbols actually modeled after the emblem of the Hojo clan, a tremendously powerful family in the 13th and 14th century Japan. The emblem was known as the Mitsuroko, which translates to the three dragon scales, which would make sense because there's there's three dragons in Breath of the Wild and you have to collect their scales. Yeah, hm, I wouldn't have known that either. Super weird. Yeah, I, I just thought it was triangles that fit. So there we go. <laughs> Okay, so uh, question five. So this is the tiebreaker. So hopefully, I've already got Scott. I already got you twice, so I'm happy. But yeah, don't let Tom beat you. Otherwise, you're never <laughs> going to hear the end of this. Are, are we tied? We have the same. Yeah, I think score, don't we? Yeah. Yep, two to I two. Two and two. Yep. Also, Scott okay. and I are on a team here. Scott and I are competing against Brian. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Question five. Um, statement number one. French composer Maurice Ravel's famous song Bolero was originally planned to be the game series main song. Statement number two, Link gets his name for the German word for left. And three, Satori Mountain in Breath of the Wild is named after Satoru Iwata, who was the fourth president and CEO of Nintendo and passed away in 2015. Tom, you want to answer first? No. <laughs> Brian sounded sad on the third one, so I'm inclined to think that's true. And I'm, it's a toss-up between the first two for me, and which one would be the untrue statement. Okay. Uh, number two is false. Number two is false. I'm with Scott. You guys got it. Yep. Yes! Link, now, where does Link get his name, Scott? Do you know? Uh, for being a Link to the player. It's commonly thought of as a link for the player. He was originally it's originally because he was the link between the forward and pass, but then they dumped the concept. So then it became the link to the player to the game. So in the original Legend of Zelda, they were looking at doing a, a past like you know how they do the, the future and past travel in like later games? They were re- they looked at doing it originally in the very first one, but they dumped it because they thought it was gonna be too hard. But like they thought Link was the the 
Obviously, Link was the commonplace between the future and the past, so he was the Link. And then after they dumped it, they're like, oh, he's the Link between you know the player and the game. So, hmm. yeah, you got it. Okay. Yeah, the Bolero one I knew for sure. I've heard that many times before. Which is crazy. Yeah, they could. They had to scrap it because it was still under copyright, so they couldn't. Right. They couldn't get their hands on it. So then Koji Kondo created the like the the medley itself, the the main Zelda theme, and thank God he did because that's like one of the most iconic sounds you can find or songs, should I say? Yeah, and this... he did it like it was in a week or it was like overnight or something. Like he it's composed like a day. it like really a day fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. This is where I miss Bernsey. He would jump in and start singing the song in some fashion. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Scott and I, a couple years... Scott, you came with me to the orchestra version, didn't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple years ago, the Twin Cities yeah, like, um, Philharmonic played the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Symphony of Hyrule or oh, something it, like that. It was so much fun. That's the history of Zelda through two truths and a lie. Before we go further down the path, how many Zelda games have all of us played? Like I talked a little bit about my experience. How much have you guys played? My first one was... Um, Link's Awakening for the Game Boy, which oddly enough, I didn't know this, but Link's Awakening came after A Link to the Past. And for it doesn't seem like that should be how the timeline worked, but it came out in like 92 and A Link to Past came out in 91. So that's so weird to me. I didn't Um, realize that the Game Boy was relevant for that long. It was, I mean, for God's sakes, that thing's been relevant forever. Like we talked about. It's like one of the consoles with the longest lifespan. That thing just would not die. The Game yeah, Boy? They... What's that? The Game Boy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, they printed off money with that thing forever. Yeah. Pokemon, like the first Pokemon, and it came out in the U.S. in like 98. And that was that's one of the best-selling games of all time. Like the Game Boy was around and relevant for a long, long time. But like the PlayStation was out in 1998. Isn't that when Final Fantasy VII came out? Yep, people were still playing Game Boy. There and, were there were no other handhelds on the on the market at that time. No, Game Gear had died, and like look at look at the peripherals. You oh yeah, no a, no other handhelds that did well, I should say. Yeah, they got a they have a Game Boy camera, <laughs> which is essentially it's a webcam that you plugged into your Game Boy and you could print off your photos. Like Game Boy existed in a time when webcams were a thing. That's nutty to think about. That is mm-hmm. nutty to think about. <laughs> wow, wild. Okay, so I, I played that on a green screen. I would sit on my mom's dining room floor with my back against the heat vent, and I'd sit down there like craned over trying to find the right sliver of light so I could see what I was doing. Um, so I that was the first one I actually played. And oddly enough, I didn't play another one until Ocarina of Time. I wound up beating that with our good friend, Corey Helene. We went through that game together. So I've played since that time from Ocarina time on, I've played every major console release and then Minish Cap. I didn't play the Oracle of Seasons. I went back and played Link's Adventure, which is Legend of Zelda 2. And I've never gone back to beat one, which I might do it sometime. I might not. I don't know if I have that much of an interest in it, but that's funny because um, you play your NES classic. Like you downloaded a whole bunch of pirated games on it. Like you have an affinity well, for those old style of games. Why have you never played the original <laughs> Legend of Zelda? I think it's a question of how much time do I want to put into it. I know that one can be be- beaten quickly. I just don't know if I want to go through it. To be totally honest, like you went back and played of... Mega Man games for Christ's sakes. Like 
I don't understand yeah. playing Mega Man over at the Legend of Zelda. Uh, yes, but Legend of Zelda, the original controls in a lot of ways are clunky. Like, that's how they are. Scott can probably attest to this. Mega Man's controls, to this day, are still tight. They are really, really, really tight. So when it comes to, like, just, like, controlling the character, I can play an old Mega Man game, and it's still a joy because he does everything. He does every movement that you need him to do during combat. I played a little bit of Legend of Zelda, and, I mean, it's if it, you can't attack at angles. <laughs> Look, if they're north, south, east, dead if they're northwest good luck <laughs> yeah that's why they made the spin attack for a link yeah. to the path because yep. they were having trouble making him attack at angles so they're like screw yep. it he'll just spin in a circle with a sword out and that and that one hold up held up really well i didn't play that until i got to i was in college when i beat that for the first time so i don't know i had a big gap so i went from green green to 3d worlds but i've enjoyed it again one of my favorite it, it is my favorite series i don't think i can say it any other way it's interesting to think of the original legend of zelda without my nostalgia shades on so that was a very eye-opening conversation scott when you're done taking a drink what is your history with this franchise well like i said before i was introduced to it with the nes one but i never really played it that much the first time i really got into playing the legend of zelda was ocarina of time i remember staying up all night several nights in a row with friends just real quick nope. aside this is yep. the first time someone's ever been eating food while we're recording a podcast these are strange <laughs> times brian i'm so glad you have a mute on your microphone scott proceed <laughs> yeah so i uh I'm, I'm much more a fan of the 3d zeldas than than the 2d ones i did end up going back to a link to the past in high school and playing through that but i don't remember it that well i've actually been thinking of of playing through it again more recently because people praise that game so much and i feel like i might appreciate it a little bit more now because i remember playing through it at the time in high school and like shortly after i had beaten ocarina of time i'm like yeah it's zelda but it's flat like what's the big deal <laughs> not realizing that well i mean i realized that it did everything first but there were so many big steps that came out of that game in particular. The Master Sword, the hook shot, like all that stuff was just, it started there. Yeah, a lot of the, the villages, the music, it, yeah, it, it originated a lot of stuff. I just, I, I've never really been as big of a fan of the 2D games because I don't, I don't really like, you know, action oh. or the combat in, no, I like fun, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really like the, the combat on, you know, like an isometric view like that, which is weird because like I have no problem with Final Fantasy games that have an isometric view like that. The SNES Final Fantasy games are some of my favorite games of all time. But it's like then when you, you know, when it's time to fight, it takes you to a different screen and it's, you know, you have your turn-based combat, which I, I, I don't know, I just enjoy much more. Like swinging a sword at at a, like a almost top-down view like that. I've just never thought that felt right um i realize i'm i'm wrong and everybody else loves those games so <laughs> so i'll take my lumps but i've just been much more of a fan of the 3d games and those have largely been the ones that i've stuck with because i played every other 3d zelda game after except for uh minish cap i also jumped on just to play that because i thought the art for it was beautiful oddly enough a capcom release i mean yeah that's just kind of weird to think about mm -hmm. that was capcom in their in their peak of making sprites and and working on the game boy advance it's a pretty game it really mm -hmm. is pretty what was minish cap on was that a handheld one 
Game Boy Advanced. Never going to play that either, unless I buy a digital console version. I, I played it on the well, Wii U. Yep, I played it on the Wii U too. That's the only way that I would have played it. <laughs> One of the things that makes this franchise so great is all of the iconic <clears throat> NPCs and side characters. So today, our top five list is going to highlight some of those characters. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsors one more time. Premier Health has solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident and work injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. Thank you, Premier Health. Without further ado, here is the top five list for today. Non-Zelda and Ganon NPCs in Zelda games, presented by Brian. It's time now for... The Final Countdown! Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Alright, so we have to start with some honorable mentions before we get into anything. So, um, honorable mention number one is going to be Cass from Breath of the Wild. Um, Cass is a, it's a Rito, which is a, it's like a bird person. And he plays the accordion and he has this really catchy tune that he plays. It's almost like, it sounds like you'd hear it like in a French cafe. It's very cool. Can you reenact and, it for us? Can you, can you sing it? Uh, off the top, my, uh, to be honest, off the top of my head, I know that if I tried, I will sing you the Song of Storms from Ocarina of Time because they're a little too similar. Like, <laughs> so, he does a bunch of different songs, too, and he does them in that accordion, so he might actually play the Song of Storms with the accordion at one time. It's There's there's some similar melodic tendencies to it, so you could be right, but Cass is... How the character Cass works is um, he gives you clues about different kinds of things that you can kind of work with, but his his teacher wrote... Uh, tells the... He, he, told the story to Cass about how he fell in love with Princess Zelda and he hated Zelda because or not hated Zelda but she, he hated her knight which is Link and um because he wanted to you, be with Zelda you just called Link Zelda fucking poser oh Jesus Christ and um, <laughs> you've ruined our show <laughs> oh, Scott little... say something mean feel the power of the dark side flowing through you <laughs> I'm good I'll let it slide Hope everyone knows that when Tom yelled that at me, he put on a fedora and started shouting. Really bad about that. And waving um, my dong. Oh, God. Uh, moving on. <laughs> so Cass, Cass's teacher, uh, was jealous of Link. And then uh, as Breath of the Wild goes, he watched Link essentially pretty much sacrifice his life to protect Zelda. So then he wrote all these songs about the hero of time. And that's that's kind of cool, I thought. Prince Sidon is another honorable mention just because he throws his arm up and smiles and he gets that like blinding glare off his white teeth. I think that's funny as shit. And then I have no idea who that character uh, is, but he makes me think of Armstrong from Metal Gear Alchemist. Full Metal Alchemist. Jesus Metal Christ. Gear Alchemist. Shut up. I'm cutting all of that. <laughs> no, who's the asshole, Tom? <laughs> I am. I'm the asshole. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he's a he's a character in Breath of the Wild. Um, he's one of the Zora. So is he your number four? No, this or is what he's... there's. I had three honorable mentions. He was the second oh, one, okay. and then the third one is Mallow, uh, which is the baby from Twilight Princess. Mallow Mart. 
Molo. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 so, it's such a weird character because it's a baby that winds up running a store. And if you give it enough money, it opens like a major chain of stores in the city. And like it just stands there behind the till as a baby collecting money where all these people work for it. I thought it was super funny. Yes. You watch the progression of this entrepreneurial baby. <laughs> it's so great. And the music that plays when you walk in at the final store. Yeah. You want to clap along to it. Yeah. It's super great. Um, so those those are my honorable uh, mentions. Um, number five would be is it? Oh, so Kath wasn't even your number five. No, my no, number five is honorable mention. Okay. No, uh, Brian's never really listened to the show before, so uh, he doesn't know that we normally go from five to one and then do the honorable mentions. Hey, no, no, they got to get out of the way first. Or actually, every good top ten usually does it at two, like right after two they do it. But oh, we're, start, we're, tra- we're trend setting today. Yeah. Uh, Dar- Darunia is my number five. He is, is. Am I pronouncing that right, Scott? Because you're the anal one about how names work. Yeah, Darunia. Yeah, that works. So he is nice the work, fire. Scott. He's the fire sage uh, from Ocarina of Time, and he's just like this big beefy bro, and I think that's super funny. And he's he's just a fun character because of like he's very expressive with Link, and I think that's always fun to kind of see. Number four is the postman and the postman is in a bunch of different (laughs) legend of zelda games but the one that makes me smile so scott's favorite legend of zelda i think is majora's mask i might be wrong but you're correct okay so in that one so i just beat that for the first time a couple years ago on the 3ds and in that one so the game is a three-day cycle and on the third day the moon crushes the city and it's game over it's armageddon and the night before that happens the postman's in his room you can visit him and he's freaking out he's like i have to get out of here the world's gonna end but my schedule tomorrow i can't leave because of my schedule so like he knows the world's gonna end but he can't like leave because like i gotta deliver these letters they're like i'm I'm being pressed to get this done so i that's just such a wonderfully funny moment to me and humor is a big thing for me, so that's where some of these characters come from. Three is going to be shocking. Three's Tingle. Oh, um, no. He's not number one. You Tingle, one of the worst characters on your top five. <laughs> he has a massive following in Japan, so maybe you should stop being a hater. Uh, Tingle, much like Tom, is a late 30s-year-old who thinks he's a fairy. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's very amusing. He... He dances around, he deciphers maps, and then like he throws confetti at times, and he's just a super funny character. Um, just like Tom. I, yeah. Just they like were, Tom. They were talking about, uh, I think it was Aonuma, uh, was talking about how when they created Tingle, they wanted someone who, they wanted to figure out how someone would make a map of Hyrule. So they made this character that would float up above the land on a balloon, a balloon <laughs> and look down and draw on maps as he's floating above the land <laughs> and then they're like what kind of person would do this <laughs> and then, so they made this super weird eccentric character to go <laughs> with that backstory so he's an interesting one for sure I see and he this... has his own group of games in japan like he's like, yeah he actually has a, has a fandom that's wild i see the similarities to me except for the fairy thing fuck you brian but I'm afraid of heights, so I would be terrible as a cartographer. You're afraid of heights? Yeah, terrified. Heights, huh. bears, bees, sharks, most things that lives in the ocean. Horses, I'm afraid of horses. Bears, beats, hmm. Battlestar Galactica. Not afraid of Battlestar Galactica, but man, my friend's going to be a bastard in that game. 
All right, moving on. Number two, number two is Midna. Midna, I think, of all of the characters that Link travels with, from Navi to Tattle to Fee. Is it Fee or Fi from Skyward Everyone Sword? Everyone pronounces it differently. No one. That's the one that, like, however you want to pronounce it, that's correct. Okay, so the, the Spirit of the Sword, Fee, or whatever her name is. Midna is my favorite companion to Link, just because she's almost like a love interest in certain ways. She's she's tender with him at times she's sassy with him at times she's angry and as time goes on you can see like they genuinely care more for each other as the game progresses and actually at one point she winds up pretty much almost sacrificing herself in an effort to save link um as they deal with ganon and she's she's a character that changes a lot from how the game starts to how the game ends and rounded characters are always just more interesting you two have been friends for a very long time you've been connected for a very long time which one of you is link and which one of you is minda minda Midna? From a pure height standpoint, I'm Link. Scott's Midna. Scott, you're the girl again! Congratulations! (laughs) I guess. I don't know really how to retort that. (laughs) I guess that makes me sassier. That's true. You are sassy. And tender. You're also quite tender. Yeah, I'm tender with you at times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to share one of my favorite memories of you guys. Uh, You guys met in college. I met Scott at some point when you were in college. I came to visit Brian, and we were hanging out. And Brian and I were in his bedroom with another mutual friend from Mora. And Scott, you came in and uh, you started inching your way closer and closer to Brian, trying to be super discreet. And you guys were playing this game at the time where you're trying to hit each other in the junk constantly. Because <laughs> we're, uh, we're in college and we're edgy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, you were in a slightly different mental state than Brian at that particular moment. So Brian knew what was happening and you were absolutely insistent. Like he grabbed your one arm and you were still swinging with the other arm. And Brian said, no kings have ever played this game, Scott. <laughs> I do remember that. I completely forgot that story. That was a great one, man. Sassy. <laughs> that was number two on Brian's list. Who is the number one non-Zelda and non-Ganon NPC, Brian? Uh, number one is Groose. Groose is number one. So Groose is a character from Skyward Sword, and he is... He's a bro. Like he's he's a douchey bro. When you meet him, he's trying to get Zelda. He treats Link like shit. He's just a just an asshole. But of all the characters, kind of the Gaston of that oh, game, oh for sure. <laughs> Which but doesn't of, surprise me why he's your number one. No, but uh, but here's the thing: of all the characters in the Zelda franchise, Groose might be the one that goes through the largest change. Because what happens is like halfway through the game, Groose realizes that Link's trying to deal with something that is so far beyond them. And he sees that that Zelda and Link are like essentially made for each other. And he stops. He acknowledges the fact that, hey, you know, Zelda and I are not going to be a thing. But then at the end, towards the end of the game, Groose's main emphasis is he does anything he possibly can to be helpful to Link. He tries. He does anything he can to be of service to the 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 hero. And that's a really cool thing. Like, he winds up actually helping him defeat uh, the creature at the sealed grounds and some different kinds of stuff. So, like, as far as a rounded character goes, Groose is perhaps the biggest redemption arc. Sounds very interesting. Thank you for the top five list. Brian Scott, your rebuttals. I think those are a lot of good choices. It kind of surprised me that Midna, you thought, was a better companion character than King of Red Lions. I would have thought that you would put him higher than Midna. Yeah, I, although you know Midna is is a really beloved character, and she she does go through a lot more change and everything. But maybe it's just because 
Wind Waker is your favorite game, I would have thought that you would go with King of Bread Lions, but those are all pretty solid choices. The only person that I didn't have on here was Beetle, and I thought... Yeah, I, that I, really I surprises sh- me that I, you didn't put Beetle on here of all uh, characters. Beetle is a salesman who's super funny because he's expressive in ways where he just makes different sounds. Ah! Like, just weird things. Or the um, guy that plays the the boat game in Wind Waker. That goes, yeah, he goes... <laughs> oh, save the children! Save the children! Yay! Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous but it's that kind of just weird ass shit that like Zelda's really good at they're really good at, at times just being like weird and I really appreciate that <laughs> yeah I think side characters are one of their strongest one of the things that they do the best because uh, like a lot of games even even like more modern games they'll put in you know just copy and paste this character as a side character he looks the exact same as another guy in town or something but zelda even going way back to the n64 zelda games they have like very very unique side characters and they'll they'll try and stretch it a little bit here and there to try and get more you know more out of their characters like oh these these two people are twins that's why they look the exact same or something like that <laughs> you know but for the most part everyone in town everyone in the game that you meet is a unique character and they have so much personality and i think that's that's always been one of zelda's strengths is their side characters so who's your favorite just just so we get your one who's your one this is your top five brian i know well give me your one though i'm interested (laughs) yeah take a stand Um, scott i guess i really haven't thought about it that much um you knew we were doing this show i knew we were doing a show but this is brian's list I'm not supposed to jump in. I guess um, if I had to pick one, I would and you do. go with, okay, I guess I would go with the happy mask salesman. In Almost made my mask. list. He is creepy as shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, he's such a, he's a, he makes you feel uncomfortable because you never know what his like true motive is. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a very weird guy because he's helpful to you at times, but he's also kind of threatening. <laughs> and <laughs> you know he just he's uh yeah and like all the masks that are on his he's carrying around this gigantic like sack of of different masks on his back and they're you know it it looks like it's stuffed with masks but there's also a bunch of masks hanging on around the outside Uh, he's just a, a really weird unique character so i guess he would be my number one okay so there we have it, the definitive list of the top five side characters in Zelda. What did we miss? Tweet your thoughts at me at TomSidLogicOIO on Twitter. That's TomSidLogicOIO on Twitter. Legend of Zelda games are often held up as some of the greatest games of their console generations. I thought it would be helpful for us to talk about what is the secret sauce that makes them so magical. What makes these games great? Well, what, what I was just talking about previously with the side characters, I think that's that's a huge portion of what makes Zelda games special to me. Nintendo when they make Zelda games, they they generally or when they make games in general, they focus a lot more on gameplay than they do on story. They'll iterate and test things over and over again and try to make something that just feels good and feels fun. And then like once they're done with that, they'll go back and kind of, you know, maybe maybe they have a general idea of where they want the story to go, but they they will put things in a lot, even last minute, 
to kind of fit around the gameplay that they designed. Like even when when making Ocarina of Time, they Miyamoto said that they they didn't want to use pre-rendered cutscenes, even though a lot of games were doing it at that time. It was you know it looks way better than something, even though like on the PS One, some of those pre-rendered cutscenes nowadays don't look so great. Hey but man, at when the time, Cloud jumps on that train, like we talked about in the Final Fantasy episode, like that was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome at the time, and that's that's you know a, like a big. Uh, criticism that they got back then was not using pre-rendered cutscenes because everybody else was doing it and they looked way better but Miyamoto said no we're not going to do that because I know I'm going to change something like the day before we ship this and (laughs) 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 and uh, if you know if you use a just the game engine for the cutscenes you can change like a character model or a texture or something and it'll update and you know you won't have to go back and redo the pre-rendered cutscene all over again so so they really they focus on gameplay and that shows in in a lot of just how they make the game in general and uh zelda being one of their flagship franchises they they really focus on uh innovating and putting in new ideas like we were talking about earlier like a link to the past they put in a lot of ideas that would uh, come up again later throughout the series, like, or, or just in a lot of other Nintendo games too, them using two worlds, using the light world and the dark world. Mm-hmm. That's how many Zelda or how many just Nintendo games even have used that since they, uh, for, for Ocarina of time, they used like Z targeting that kind of, set up how a lot of games even just modern games in general how they would do combat you know in 3d by being able to lock onto a target and circle around them and it's you know they they really put a lot of focus on making something special and that i think that kind of shows in in other games down the line Sure. One real quick question for you guys, a real quick aside. What is the more important element for a great game for you? Great gameplay mechanics or great story? For me, I'd say for for a game in general, gameplay. But that doesn't mean I don't love a great story. Um, that's That's part of the reason why I like so many games. But of the games that I... I like the story in they also have great gameplay you could have a game that's that has a great story but not so great gameplay more than likely it's not going to be one of my favorite games at that point it might as well be a book or a movie it's if a game has great gameplay and great story that's a sure winner or if it has great gameplay but not great story I'll still enjoy it as a game so I think gameplay takes priority I would agree with you just because, of the, and you said it really well, it's like good gameplay alone is something that kind of can drive you forward because you enjoy the fluidity of the experience. That's a fun thing. But then you look into something, if it's heavy story, but the gameplay is a slog, I'm not interested typically in going through the tedious nature of the actions to get to more story. Now, Tom, you're different. You're like, give me story or give me death. Like, Pretty Pillars much. Of, yeah, Pillars of Eternity. I'm like, no. No, 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 that no. That game no, is no, no. fucking awesome. That was my pregnancy no. game. Mm, no. I uh, no. 
if if we were to put it on a scale, I'd say it's maybe 70-30 story to gameplay for me. Like, I will put up with some crappy gameplay elements if I'm really enjoying what's happening with the story. And I don't finish every video game that I play, but I like to get into the world and wander around and see what's available and kind of take it all in as an experience. And then, you know, when I'm done with the game, I move on. But to me, it is very similar to a book or a movie. Like, I want to see what's there, and if it interests me, I'll take it to the end. And if not, I'll move on to the next thing. So, have you ever played a Mario game? I have. I've played many <laughs> Mario games, but I have not played many of them to completion. Like, I can play a good game without a story, too. That's that's fine. I mean, gameplay is important. I'm not going to say if a story is great and gameplay is absolute rubbish that I'm not going to uh, just see it through. But generally, to me, I would bring story is more important than great mechanics. Okay. All right. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate about Nintendo and the Legend of Zelda franchise specifically is their commitment to quality. <clears throat> a lot of games release and you have day one patches or things are broken when things ship and they figure they'll just fix it. That seems to be less of an issue with Nintendo. Is that good marketing or do you think that's on a, a correct statement? I think if I can take this one, I think that's the vision of Shigeru Miyamoto. Like he specifically said that when it comes to a game that is delayed, still has the potential to be a good game. A game that is rushed, though, never has that chance. And he is he is really anal about making sure that what they deliver and what they, they release is a completed project. So, like, there's lots of times that his stuff gets delayed, and he never worries about it because he's like, hey, I'm just trying to make sure that I deliver to the best of my ability the vision that I have. Do you think that's a realistic stance to take in the current environment of AAA game development? I do. I think it's. Uh, I think it's. Well, it's. I want to say developers, but it's, it's not actually de the developers. In a lot of cases, it's the publishers that they take for granted that well, we can just push something out and keep iterating on it or keep you know fixing it even after we've you know gone gold and printed discs and everything. And like a lot of times I get it. You have that extra time now that you didn't have before. So that's great that you can actually keep working on it and improve it even after the game has gone gold and you can put out a day one patch. But some of them take advantage of it and they like that you shouldn't ship a game that's fundamentally broken and go, well, we can fix it with a patch. Because Look at Final Fantasy Online, it, <clears throat> they put all that money into it and it was essentially broken, dead on delivery, and they had to do Reborn, wasn't it? Like, it was so broken that they couldn't even use it. Yeah, yeah. they shut the whole game down and relaunched it. Fascinating story. Right. So I think that making a game that's, you know, complete and well done to begin with should be their number one priority. And then if you want to use that extra time in between when it is gold and when it releases sure you can go ahead keep adding things but i think you should really concentrate on you know if your game isn't done or if it's broken you shouldn't be shipping it yet because there i mean that works fine for a lot of people who have internet and can you know download a patch but that's that's not everybody there are a lot of people who don't have that i know we live kind of in a time where you think just oh everybody has the internet and a lot of people do but some people don't and so they get that disc and the game's broken and there's nothing they can do about it so i think that or you know like they they just don't have the bandwidth or the space to to download that patch so i think they should focus a little bit more on making a game that is complete 
and then improve from there if they want to. I think that's a kind of talking about the spirit of how Nintendo works. Like if you look at a lot of the major publishers, you're right. There's a lot of push to get things done fast and quick. And okay, we put out the first two chapters of this game. Let's put out the other six in the next eight months. Like it's just, it's go as quickly as you can. But Nintendo has always had such a measured approach. It's like if you took, and they'll do things that are even counterintuitive to financial success at times because they just want to try something. It's, they're a group of artists to me that make a video game system. And the way that they approach things is they're like, what can we do? What's a new way that we can look at this? Even if it's a bad idea, like Virtual Boy, terrible. But then they're like, well, what if we waggle around this remote thing and see how that goes? Oh, that's the Wii. That's like the greatest selling system of all time. They're not motivated. They're motivated in some capacity by money. All businesses are. But Nintendo, to me, takes a stance that's a lot different than others, where they just want to produce experiences that people can enjoy. And that's when drawing all this back to like what makes a good Legend of Zelda game. That's what's so amazing about Legend of Zelda. It's a place where you can go walk around these towns and you can see people living there. It's got personality. It's got interest like in like Hyrule Field and Ocarina of Time. You walk out there and you're like, oh, my God, what am I going to find around the next corner? It's about not understanding or knowing where you're going necessarily but you're just kind of taking everything in as you go. That's why Breath of the Wild is so interesting. Like how Breath of the Wild is a true, truly going back to original Zelda. Okay, here's a sword. Fucking figure the rest out. And that Breath of the Wild doesn't even give you pants. It's like, <laughs> nope, you're naked. Go find pants. <laughs> We're going to go from there. Like, it's like, and then okay. at one point they take those pants away. I know. <laughs> I'm like, this is a tough game. But like that the cool thing about Breath of the Wild is there's a million ways to do anything. So like if it works, you have the you did it you did it the right way. That's the only rule that really Breath of the Wild has. Hey, if what you did works, you figured out the correct way to do it. Because it's so wide open. Pants are an interesting item. Let's <laughs> <laughs> Let's push our discussion down that train of thought just a little bit. I feel like Zelda is also well known for the items that you acquire from the Master Sword to the Boomerang to bombs. What are some of the best items in the history of the franchise? I'll go first to that one. So Hookshot, I think, is like one of the most versatile. Um, Scott said the double claw shots are super fun, too. I love those when you're like flying all over the place. What does the Hookshot do? Uh, it's it's got a handle piece to it and then it fires out like a small harpoon which depending on the uh, material that it connects with it can then like if it's typically it's wood um, or a target it can then draw you to the target so it's a way to traverse like gaps essentially large areas that you wouldn't be able to jump or clear otherwise so that's super cool um kind of like I, a grappling hook yeah that's maybe a much more succinct way to put it um <laughs> 2D or much 3D more games <laughs> Uh, it's in both. Started oh. off in A Link to the Past, and I think it's pretty much been a staple in every game that I can think of now. Yeah, there um, might be a few here and there, but for the most part, it's been in almost every game going forward. I love boomerangs just because it's typically the boomerangs versatile enough where it can like, grab items for you, where it can stun enemies. And I, I love the ability to stun an enemy before I kill it. Um, Scott's watched me play Wind Waker lots of times where I'll get an enemy in the corner and just repeatedly bash him in the face with a boomerang just laughing. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do, asshole? <laughs> it's just it's very fun. Um, I have a then... lot of nostalgia for the boomerang from the original Legend of Zelda because it was like you could reach with it and you could reach with it when you didn't have full yep. hearts and couldn't shoot your sword. It was a tremendously useful tool. 
it was a secret item in maybe my love for it started in Link's Awakening because it was a secret item. You did the trading sequence in that game, which got you to the boomerang, and the boomerang in that game was ultra powerful. So like you could hit like some of those like fireball sprites in dungeons, and it would give you a fairy. So it was it was a really fun thing to use. Yeah, I also love the hook shot and the double claw shot in Twilight Princess was awesome because you could hook shot onto one thing and then as you're hanging onto a wall, you can turn and aim at another spot and hook shot over to that. So you're kind of like Spider-Manning all over the place, which so I always did, thought was really fun. Did like Just Cause rip off that mechanic from Zelda then, or is it emulating Just Cause? Uh, I don't know what came first, but I mean, Just Cause has put in just tons of mechanics from all kinds of games. They just throw it all together, whatever they think feels good, it seems like. That game looks wacky. I've never played one, but I'm super intrigued by them. It's more interesting the things that you can do rather than what you should do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just like a giant playground. I never really played the Just Cause games for the story, just for like flying around and blowing stuff up. Yeah, that's why uh, game video games. Yeah, right. Exactly. Then I always liked a lot of the items from Wind Waker. I thought they have some of the same items as previous previous games have done, but they have a lot of personality. I mean, that game just has a lot of personality to begin with. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the animations for things like the Deku leaf, where it's just like a giant leaf and you just wave it and it shoots a, a gust of wind. It just like blows a gust of wind. Or you can jump off of things and use it like a sail over your head to just kind of slowly fall to the ground. I thought was always kind of cool. Or the skull hammer, <laughs> which I really like. It's oh, just yeah. a giant hammer. But in Wind Waker, it's so satisfying when you just whack something with it. The like the sound effects and the animation, it looks like it's like bending until you actually like land the hit. It's it's how thin that handle is and how big the head of the hammer is. It's yes, like... yes. <laughs> Yeah, it just emphasizes the smack when it finally lands on an enemy. <laughs> Brian, Wind Waker is your favorite game in the entire series. It was originally released on the GameCube. It was remade as an HD remake on the Wii U. What makes this game so memorable for you, and where does it stand on your Rushmore of gaming? It was a really surprising game because, actually, when it came out, people were angry. When there had been some kind of modeling done to show off the GameCube hardware, and they had done... They had modeled a 3D fight of, essentially, it looked like character models from almost like Ocarina of Time with updated textures of Link versus Ganon. And it's this like super realistic thing, and it's this intense fight. And then when they actually showed that they're what they're creating... Surprise, they went with it's this, a cartoon. Yeah. Oh, cell shaded And people were really, really angry. And that's kind of why there's that... There's such a strong shift from... You know, Wind Waker to Twilight Princess, and it's just like it went from light and whimsical to like really dark and serious. Twilight Princess, I think, between Majora's Mask or Twilight, is like that's the darkest that the series goes. It was really different, but like the reason I love it so much is because it's just a really, really expressive game. I'm a big fan of of bright colors. I'm a big fan of of um, a lot of what's the word I'm looking for enthusiasm. And that's that game has just it in all sorts of different ways. Like if links walking by something and his eyes shift up to look at it, typically he can interact with it. I think that's such a cool little nuance to it. It's got boomerangs and grappling hooks and I can, I can sail in the, in the red line, which is his ship. And like, some people complained, Oh, you know, I hated sailing. Cause it was this big open thing. The music was so 
perfect for I sailing. Love sailing in that game. It's again the the sound. Another thing I think that Zelda's so good at is just that they're so good at matching music with environment. They're really, really, really talented at that. And the sailing in that game was so much fun to me because if you could see something in the distance, if you can see it, you can sail out there to it. And so you're traversing that map and you're filling in different areas and you're going to these islands where these people lead these lives. And again, it's places where you can feel like someone lived there. And to to kind of go through that entire game and then replay it, you know, maybe a decade later, it holds up really well. The cell shading holds up a lot better than really a lot of the other graphical choices that they could have done, but it's fun gameplay. I love the counter system when it comes to Z locking and how to move and all that kind of different stuff. And the dungeons were just a lot of fun too. So it's a game where I can easily play that maybe once a year and it just, it doesn't get old to me. And a, a lot of it is tied to the visual look and tied to the musical score. Those two are just, they're, they're so bound tightly to that game, and it's just, I love every second of it. I'm playing it right now for the very first time, and it's been an interesting experience. Early on, I felt like there was a lot of running around and talking to people, and that is not what I wanted from a Zelda game. Also, early... I don't know that you love talking! You That's, love story! <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, they weren't saying anything interesting. Like, I talked to everyone oh. on Windfall <laughs> Island. Like... <clears throat> I don't know. It didn't grab me very early on, but once I got to the second dungeon in the Forbidden Forest, I started to see and feel the magic. The dungeons I thought were a little bit more bite-sized, or the rooms were a little bit more bite-sized, but I thought it was really satisfying. Just the scope of the game, I, maybe it's because it was a GameCube game, maybe it was just their des- design decision, but it feels like all of the things within the game are kind of bite-sized, and then you have this big open world to explore that's a bunch of bite-sized pieces all woven together. It's tough, too, because early on they introduce you to that Forsaken Forest. And I think if they wouldn't have gone with like that trial and error stealth decision on it, I think maybe I would enjoy the first part of that game a little bit more. Because that part, every time I play through it, I'm just like, fuck, I don't want to do this. Because like, that part sucks. I'm going to put on a barrel and walk real slow. Like, ugh. Yeah, I mean, putting on a barrel or a box was funny <clears throat> back in the Metal Gear Solid days. But we've kind of moved past that, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But now, now that I'm more into it, for your reference, I have I found all three of the pearls. I placed two of them on the statues, and I got dragged down trying to find the item to lift the big like stone faces last night. Um, I don't know. There's there's definitely magic and charm to it. It's a lot of time in the boat, and if you can't have sort of a zen feeling with the boat, I don't think you're gonna enjoy the game very much. But I really what's like... what sale do you have? The first one. I didn't know that there were more sales yet. If you so at the auction house, you can you can essentially win what's called the fast sail. So now what happens is when you start your boat going, you throw that sail up. Whatever direction you turn, the wind just follows with you. Now in the GameCube version, you actually had to point the wind, and that was a little bit of a quality of life improvement between the HD version and the original. Yeah, I did not like having to do the uh, song to change the direction of the wind early on, but I've gotten a feel for how it works now. So it's no longer a pain in the ass just to change the direction of my boat. One thing that I think is super cool in the um, when you're exploring worlds, like you start with this big square chart filled with little squares where you're sailing through these different areas. And in within each of these areas, there's an island. And outside of that island, there's a jumping fish. And if you give some food to the jumping fish, he'll fill in your chart and tell you like a secret. That I just, I don't know if it just breaks up the big ov- open world or what, but I really, really enjoy that mechanic of filling in my sea chart. 
everything you need in the game too. Everything you need in the game can be told to you by those fish. Because there's ones that say in the upper left quadrant, well, that'll give you a hint for like the lower right quadrant. It's like it's it's like rumors across this world. And if you if you fill in the map, I don't really think you would need a guide for a lot of the larger, like for like say extra bombs or extra arrows, some of these these expansions that you can get through different areas. You'd find it all by the fish. I think that's a really cool feature. Yeah, to have like all the secrets like within the game like that in a very manageable way. Like, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of work to find all the fish, but it's super rewarding for me. And I think that's just a phenomenal design decision they made. Mm-hmm. I find it kind of funny that you say that talking to people is one of your least favorite parts of the Zelda game. <laughs> and <laughs> After me just talking about all the, the NPC characters were one of my absolutely favorite parts. And like, I, I get it. There are times when in, in a lot of Zelda games, when they're really slow to start, you kind of just want to get into the action and you want to do some fighting. I like the alternating between going and doing some adventuring and talking to some interesting people. And when one takes a little bit too long, then that can kind of make it feel like it's dragging. But but when it's done right, I absolutely love talking to some of the people in Zelda games. That's that's one of my favorite parts. And I think that's something that, that Zelda games do especially well is giving you a sense of curiosity and then rewarding your curiosity by by giving you something interesting to find or someone interesting to talk to. Like, I remember, this is switching games a little bit. This isn't Wind Waker, but in Breath of the Wild, when I discovered the uh, the horse god. And mm-hmm. it, that, was, that was something I had no idea was in the game. I feel like I had discovered almost everything in the game at that point. And then I just kind of saw a path and went, oh, what's over here? I have no idea. I went over and I discovered this this horse god character and they're so eccentric eccentric and just like it keeps making jokes like it's going to eat you (laughs) and and then it's like nah i'll just bring your horse back to life (laughs) and i was like that was so great i love that little discovery of of this like super interesting character that i didn't even know was there so brian coming back to my original statement on wind waker this is your favorite game in your favorite franchise. Where is it on your Rushmore of gaming? Mm, as our Rushmore of gaming, would we say we have three or like five games up there? There are four faces on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> They're presidents of the United States. Oh, so if you take my two answers, it averaged out to the correct one. Good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, nice work. It's on there. Yeah, I, it's it's in my top four. Um, it probably... I don't know if it would be one, but I can't think of anything else that would be up there. I think I think it probably has to be number one for me because it's a game that I can always kind of keep going back to. This is your favorite are... game of all time? Like your number one I... game of all games ever made? I think so because, I mean, going through that story and particularly the fact that, like, that's a game that I share with my wife a ton. That's one of her favorite games of all time. So... You know, I get home from work at times. You'd be like, "Hey, do you want to go through the game with me?" And it's like, "Absolutely, I do." And it's just, it's a beautiful, bright, vibrant world with a beautiful, beautiful score attached to it. And it's, it's all about that exploration. Like Scott said, a big thing of Zelda is exploring, and and I'm so happy that's the emphasis now in Breath of the Wild because that's probably on my top five as well. That top is... four, top four, should I say? Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> wild. I can't be taught. <laughs> Uh, quick aside, Scott, what's your favorite Zelda game? Mine is Majora's Mask. 
Do you want to give us a quick rundown on what sets Majora's Mask apart for you? Yeah, just real quick. It's I I don't feel like it's maybe the best Zelda game, which is weird because it's you know a Zelda game. Best game and favorite don't necessarily have to be the same. Right. Yeah. Um. It's I I like it because it's so different and it has such a strange twist on the Zelda franchise. It's with as Brian described earlier. You know, there's a moon crashing into the town and you keep kind of keep looping through the same three days over and over again as the moon is coming down. And that really gives you a chance to, well, I think this kind of goes back into my thing of the side characters being my favorite part of Zelda games is it really gives you a chance to explore talking to different townspeople and getting their take on what's happening. And they, they all have a routine that they go through for all three days so if you talk to someone on the first day they might not be there the second day but then they're back on the third day and it it happens the same way every time and it's overall it's 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 a really weird and dark game and it kind of has a lot of emphasis on death and it kind of feels like a dream almost and Part of that, I think, is because it was, you know, made from a lot of the assets that they used in Ocarina of Time. So it's like it looks kind of the same as the previous game that you know really well, but with like a weird twist on it that makes everything feel just a little bit off. And they really dig into that like off feeling with like a bunch of creepy, creepy characters and moments. And it kind of has like an Alice in Wonderland feel to it where just everything is weird and and it's like a mushroom trip or something <laughs> and uh i think i i just really enjoy that it's it's two things with that one that game has such an emphasis on healing which i think is a really neat thing about it it's like links so much of links what he's doing is trying to heal people from trauma it's a really cool approach because you don't really see that in the other ones and as far as making it your favorite it makes perfect sense because they basically took this huge world of ocarina of time they condensed it down and made it so much more detail oriented and for a human that likes the interaction with characters they've got their set schedules their set times they have so many more things to talk to you about that seems like it's perfectly dovetailed to what you like <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's, that game emphasized that to a huge degree it's like this is a living world right if somebody wanted to go back and play Ocarina and Majora's Mask, what is the best channel to do so today? Are, have they been remade for Switch? Do you have to play them on the DS, uh, Wii U? Like, what's what's the best option in your guys' opinions? I have it for. I played Majora's Mask on the 3DS a couple years back, and that was a lot of fun. I didn't. I know that they remastered Ocarina of Time, and they did some quality of life things for that too, from what I understand. But the 3DS was a was a good experience. If I could play it on the TV, I rather would. I'd rather play something on my TV, but I think that's the only avenue to do so right now. Yeah, I'm not a huge handheld guy, as you know, but I think that still might be the best way to play it is just on the 3DS because they, you know, they updated the graphics and they reworked some minor issues with the games. And I, I'm waiting for them to re-release them on the switch they have to re-release them on the switch right like it's sold so well it, it just seems like it would be printing money they're not motivated by money that's the dumb part about nintendo <laughs> i want to give it to them time. i want them to have it i want to play it on my they, tv and not on the little handheld they have yeah. all these amazing franchises that they just ignore for decades because like that whatever <laughs> come around to that well kind of going into the like recent news there's some 
rumors of the Mario games all being mm-hmm. re-released, yes. which I really hope is true. I really, really want them to remake Mario 64 for the Switch. Just completely redo, you know, kind of do like a, Resident a Evil Crash remake. Bandicoot or like a Resident Evil, you know, where it's it's just it's the same game, basically, but they just make it look absolutely gorgeous. And we got a little bit of a taste of that in Mario Odyssey by going to Peach's Castle and seeing the castle just looking beautiful in modern <laughs> graphics. And I, I would love if they would do that with uh, Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time. And I think they'll they'll get there eventually, but it's, it takes them so long. Yeah, I know they only have so many resources, but but I want it now. I agree with you. Yeah, let's just drive a drum truck of money up to their front door. We're going to take a moment, we're going to step away from Zelda, and we're going to talk about an Xbox game, which seems perfectly tailored to this episode. I'd like to give a big shout out and thanks to our supporters on Patreon, especially Pat and Joey, who are our first $10 supporters. Thank you guys so, so much. Once we pass $25 of monthly support, I committed to highlighting a game off of Xbox Game Pass every month. For the first month, I've selected Subnautica. Are either of you familiar with this game? I just read a, a review on uh, Reddit's Patient Gamers about the the exploration aspect of that game is very very well done and like apparently it's always like okay now that I can get deeper what am I going to encounter as I go deeper into the ocean and it, I think I'm going to wind up playing it just because of of that aspect of you don't know what you're going to find I think it sounds awesome it is really cool Scott what's your familiarity with it I really don't know too much about it um just kind of surface knowledge i know what uh yeah (laughs) no pun intended (laughs) i i've seen a few gameplay videos of it i think markiplier was playing through it back when it was pre-release first off i just bought 18 months of xbox game pass for like 130 dollars. i am super stoked there's just a sale on newegg for anyone with an xbox one which includes you brian game pass is amazing But to set the stage for Subnautica, it is a survival crafting type game. It opens with you crash landing on an alien planet in an escape pod. You have to scavenge resources and build equipment. You're exploring an ocean and you find new gear lying around on the ocean floor. And once you've built a scanner out of some assorted resources, you can scan them. And once you scan things so many times, you get a blueprint for it. Like there's a laser cutter and you have to find three of them lying around on the ocean floor. And when you scan three of them, then suddenly you can build it in your ship once you have the resources. Uh, After you're playing for a little bit, other escape pods will call you on the radio and they'll give you waypoints to explore. I've done one of those so far and I was just like, oh, well, he died a horrible death, but hey, here's this blueprint for this thing that I can build now. (laughs) Sweet. A thing that stands out to me is that the world is really, really deadly. In my first couple of hours of playing the game, I was killed by asshole fish, by asphyxiation, I starved to death. I died of thirst. And this stupid uh, gassy cephalopod creature like blew poison in my face and I died. So like it's a, it is a whole lot of dying early on. And then you just kind of respawn, starting your ship. It's like, oh, okay, well, jump back into the ocean. Sweet. <laughs> uh, this isn't really my general style of game. I don't play a lot of survival crafting type games, so it's a little bit out of my comfort zone. And, you know, it it's cool and it looks beautiful and... I'm having some fun with it, but man, I cannot wait to go back to like the division or to dive deeper into Wind Waker. I think it's good sometimes though to play games that kind of are 
outside of your normal realm of playing because it does kind of maybe expand into games that you didn't know you liked as much. I I enjoy RPGs, but like we played Earthbound a couple years ago. I found some tweaks to how that gameplay worked that I really liked and led me to some other games. And I'm like, well, I would have never known unless we just decided to like randomly pick one. So I think it's good to try to try new stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm almost certain I'm not going to beat it, but I'm going to try to get another 10 hours or so into it. I'm about four hours in. It's really no, there's no autosave in this fucking game. In this day and age, I cannot believe there's an autosave. So like the first time I played was a complete disaster. Like the 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 landing pod crashes into the ocean and like you get hit in the head with a fire extinguisher and you wake up and your pod's on fire. So I do the only logical thing and like I get out of the fucking ship and I jump into the ocean because <laughs> the ship's on fire. What am I going to do? It turns out you need to pick up that fire extinguisher and put out the flame and that's how you're able to craft stuff. So, like, I just jumped into the ocean and was looking for shit to build. I'm like... You're supposed to go down with your ship, Tom. You're not a good captain. Well, apparently you're supposed to fix your ship, turn it into a base, build up some equipment, go explore, find another base. There's a tool for a habitat builder, and I got... uh, I've upgraded my oxygen tank a couple of times so I can stay underwater for a decent amount of time. You hear oxygen so much in this fucking game. Like, you start with, like, 30 seconds that you can be underwater, and then, like, at 10 seconds they'll say oxygen and so you have to beeline up to the surface and like get a breath of fresh air and then you go back under for 30 seconds and then you upgrade it and you get a minute and then you upgrade it again and you're up to a minute and a half and in a minute and a half you can like see some stuff underwater i don't know it's a cool game and it's beautiful but it's outside of my wheelhouse and i don't see myself getting super addicted to this style of game yeah, yeah so it sounds like there's not really a, a narrative other than just kind of what you do in order to get off the planet, like fix your ship and get off the planet. Yeah, it seems like fix your ship. There must be like base building. Like I've scanned a bunch of like office chairs and counters and like a refrigerator under the ocean. And like I can't place them in my escape pod. It's like this tiny little space. It's like four feet by four feet. So apparently you build an underwater base somewhere. So I don't know if I'm going to become like an evil mastermind with my underwater layer or what. But So the end result is like Sea Lab 2020. Yeah, you're becoming a Bond villain. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be fitting for me, but uh, yeah, I don't really know if the end game is to get off the planet or to learn to survive on the planet. Cool. Yeah, hmm. I don't know. It's a neat thing. It's uh, Taste breakers can be fun for certain. But let's come back to The Legend of Zelda. For our last main segment here, we're going to do something that is just wild and crazy and like outside of the realm of mortal comprehension, we're going to rank the mainline console games from The Legend of Zelda. Everyone loves a good ranking discussion. I haven't played enough Zelda to be much of a help, so this is your guys' time to shine. Here is the definitive ranking of the mainline console games. We are talking about The Legend of Zelda, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, A Link to the Past, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword, and breath of the wild starting with the worst game first so ranking these are we talking about we're gonna rank them from worst to best as in just like what the best game is not not like our favorites just objectively the better game correct but feel free to get all personal and insult brian as much as you uh can possibly think of i think that the general world consensus would be that Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link is arguably the worst mainline console game. Brian, I know you have an affinity for it. Do you have any consternation against putting it at the bottom of the list? 
No, I mean, it, it was, it was, they, I get that they're, they're trying to just really do some different things. Like, I, I understand that. I mean, it's got a leveling system. It's got XP. There's no hearts in the game. Like, it's, There's it's no really, hearts. Get really... the fuck out of here. No, and the, the bit, the hardest part about that game is you can't get life back unless you level up and then you choose life or you come across like a heart container in the wild, which also levels up your life, but they don't give you the spell to give you extra life until you're almost halfway through that game. So it's like slowly watching yourself bleed out for the course of a dungeon. And if you don't like that dinging sound, which means you're on the verge of death, don't play this fucking game <laughs> because that's going to be the soundtrack for three fourths of your adventure. To be fair, um, that's a problem in a lot of the earlier Zelda oh games. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sorry, I sound so bitter when I talk about it, but it's God, it was just a grind. <laughs> Nintendo, we applaud you for trying new things, but Zelda Two is the worst of the Zelda games. Oh my god! Well, uh, yes, but also I think the Legend of Zelda, the original one, is also a contender for that because they have some mechanics that are just by today's standards like it's it's held up now because of the time that it came out but things like having to bomb a certain section of a wall where there's no indication that you're supposed to bomb there there's not like a secret crack in the wall that like shows you it's it's a little weak and you can explode a section open oh god it's, it's just, so much you're just supposed to know bombs and shit yeah yeah, yeah you just have up. to like wander around like blowing up sections of wall or cutting down mm -hmm. every shrub in an area. And there's no way that you're supposed to, you're just supposed to spend your time exploring and doing this stuff, which yeah, yeah like exploring is fun, but when you have no idea what your goal is, that's just bad game design. Yeah. And they wound up adding that sound for the sword. If the sword strikes an area that you can bomb through, even if it looks good, but it sounds hollow, it makes that lighter tink sound. It lets you know to blow through. But to just randomly assume... Just walk around and swing at the wall <laughs> yeah. until you hear a tink? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and they didn't even have that in the first one. And bombs weren't easy to always to get in the first one either, so like that would be such a pain. Right. So it, it gets a lot of credit for being first and kind of launching the series in the direction that it went in, but... Just by modern standards, it it uh, is not great in a lot yeah. of aspects. It might still be better than two, but it's it's definitely a competitor for the worst. Yeah, I have a lot of nostalgia for that game, so I'm not going to put it at the bottom of the list. I'm happy to put okay. it at the second worst. Anything else we should consider at this point? Skyward Sword, uh, people don't seem... Wand as... of Gamelon. Was that 3DO games? Yeah, Tom, are you aware of what these are? No, I have no idea. I thought okay. you just made up words. No, so what <laughs> happened was, remember, okay, so when you and I were on the Super Nintendo uh, podcast together, we talked about how, remember the relationship that broke down between uh, Nintendo and uh, Sony? Mm -hmm. Okay, so what wound up happening was, so Nintendo then courted 3DO, and they wound Panasonic, up... Panasonic, Panasonic, I'm sorry, yes. Um, and what they were doing was, is they were trying to figure out if they could wind up making another disk drive, which Nintendo also wound up ditching. But Panasonic at that point put out the 3DO, which did allow them to get their hands on the licenses for certain Nintendo games. And there's two of them. There is uh, Zelda and the Wand of Gamelon. There's, Scott, what, what's the other one? There's three, aren't there? Faces of Evil 
and Zelda's Adventure. Yep, I have it listed under the header, The Bullshit Games. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo was building the CD add-on, worked with Sony's Sony Famous Divorce, and then they worked with Philips. Oh, Philips so it is, Philips not the one that did it. So, Link, Faces of Evil, Zelda, The Wand of Gamelon, and Zelda's Adventures. So, if you guys want to see these, you can watch the Angry Video Game Nerd. Um, he does playthroughs of this. So, like, you're walking, and you have to hit up to jump. So, like, you'll be walking, and you have to jump, you have to hold up, forward, and jump all at one time to, like, try to make it work. Basically, Phillips knew they were losing the license on these things and just pumped out the shittiest games ever. And then, like, people don't talk about these because they were just so horribly bad. I had no idea they even existed. There you go. There's some knowledge. Oh, my God. Yeah, so we're uh, we're going to take a step back here. There are nine mainline games that we're talking about. Wand of Gamelon? Yeah. Not one of them. Task. So... <laughs> Zelda 2 is the worst game in the franchise. We're talking about Legend of Zelda. Is there anything else from the mainline entries that we should consider as the second worst game? How low do we want to go on Skyward Sword? I think Skyward Skyward Sword is better than both of those. I'd agree. But I would also say that Skyward Sword was the first kind of chapter of the game where the, the fabric of what makes it a Zelda game started to fray a little bit. Like I feel like that one was really... Hey, get this item, go here. Get this item, go here. There really wasn't too much exploration to it. And it was like I mean, it's the an, it's the antithesis to what happened with Breath of the Wild. The Breath of the Wild they just went the complete opposite direction, but I think it was it was almost too linear. Yeah, I I agree. They really kind of lost the sense of exploration. And that, that shows a lot in the sky that had so much potential. Just I think empty. it was yeah, it it could have been so cool, like flying around above Hyrule on a giant bird, and like it could have been if they would have made it like Wind Waker, where there were you know just islands that you could fly to and explore. That would have been really cool. But there's like three or four places that you can go, and that's it. Otherwise, it's just a big empty sky that you can fly around, and then you go down to the land to go find dungeons. And there's there's a lot that it did really well, but. But there's just so much that I agree with you, Brian, that made it not feel like a Legend of Zelda. They lost a sense of exploration. So it feels like we're in agreement. So far, the ranking goes Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, The Legend of Zelda. The two 8-bit games are the two worst. Skyward Sword is next. The uh, kind of closing, the swan song for the Wii is the third worst Zelda game. Yeah, I think yeah. so. All right, so we're into the middle it, tier It had now. one of the better stories for a Zelda game, but... Again, to my point earlier of gameplay is better than than story. It's I I don't think it was enough to save it. Yep, because that so. that that world exists before Hyrule. That is the first. So for the timeline's sake, that is the first story. That is the first Zelda. The first Link, and then demise would be Ganon. So that's where it all began. Was there? Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, putting it at number three is is a good choice. So we're on to the middle tier games, four, five, and six. Uh, five will be the um, kind of the midpoint for the series. What do we think is just below the midpoint? What are our contenders right here? Hmm. I mean, how high are we going to go with A Link to the Past, which is regarded as one of the games, one of the most iconic games? Is that going to be in our top tier, or is that in this tier, do we think? Well, I think it's going to be the top end of this tier. Yeah. Just so, so like, much has been built off it. Personally, I would put it lower, but as as a game and like as a Zelda game, I think it it should go higher. Well, I think I think Twilight Princess would be in contender in contention for this next spot. 
I agree. Um, That's my pick. As much as I like Twilight Princess and think it it really kind of focused what a Zelda game is and did it well, it didn't really offer much new. It just didn't make any exciting moves. And we I can think... make a serious Zelda game. Watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so even though we rank it as the fourth worst Zelda game <clears throat> below the Mendoza line, like these are still like great games, right? Like genre or right. console defining games. So every game we're talking about has a lot of strengths to it, but you know, we're putting them within context of each other, I guess. So Twilight Princess goes at number four. Where do we think the Mendoza line is this series? Where is the, what's the middle entry? Number five. I think probably a link to the past. And it, I mean, it's tough to say that, but at the same time, I think I told you guys in the show notes prior, like Nintendo Power was doing monthly runs showing like game sales and popularity on their on their power chart. A link to the past was number one for five years straight, like <laughs> five years straight of it, 60 months of it not being broken as the number one. I mean, that's, insane <laughs> i mean how how far ahead of their curve were they <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people would disagree with us because i know how beloved that game is yeah. but at the same time this is our list so <laughs> i personally <laughs> would put it next before we cement it are we sure we want to put it below the n64 games like how how high do we envision ocarina and majora's mask going because i have a feeling I have a feeling I know what the top two games are going to be, although maybe not their order. Where where are we going to slot these 64 games in? Are we sure that we want to put them above A Link to the Past? I would, but Majora's is going to lag back for me because I just I didn't like it the same way Scott did. All right. right. So, so number five is A Link to the Past. Recapping our list so far, it's Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, The Legend of Zelda, um, Skyward Sword, Twilight, Twilight Princess, Princess, and then A Link to the Past. So we, for our last four spots, we have Ocarina, we have Majora's Mask, we have Wind Waker from the GameCube, and we have Breath of the Wild. What rounds out our middle tier? This is where I think it starts to get a little tougher, and Brian and I might, might disagree a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, because this is where Majora comes for me. Sorry. Yeah. Well, Brian says Majora. Scott, what would you say at this point? I say this is where Wind Waker goes for me. Oh, <laughs> you just did that despite me. I did not. <laughs> I honestly think that. So Wind Waker versus Majora's Mask. We know that Wind Waker is Brian's favorite game. Scott, what brings it down a little bit for you? Uh, Wind Waker? Yeah. I wouldn't say anything brings it down. I would think that just the what's good about the other three games is what puts them above it. Yeah, Wind Waker is... is a great game and again these are you know comparing them to other games these are some of the best games of all time so it's not saying that any one of these is bad in any way but um as far as like if you're just comparing these as zelda games or even even gameplay wise i i could see how majora's mask definitely has some issues despite its high highs for me it does have certain gameplay problems so I, I definitely don't expect it to make number one just because it's my favorite. Yeah, let, um, let me jump in here and then see if I can sway either of you guys. I think with Wind Waker, I think the art style still holds up today. I think that is a major strength for it. I think the exploration, I haven't played Majora's Mask, so I lean towards Wind Waker going a little bit higher. I think the exploration is really great in Wind Waker. 
And um, you're biased, Tom. I am. I'm trying to get you on our team here. Tom's like, I don't know any better, so I'm going to put this higher. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Majora's Mask, we used a lot of assets, and it feels like it borrowed a lot from Ocarina, and so maybe it doesn't stand as well on its own. Uh, did I sway either of you with my thoughts there, or am I just going to have to make a blank decision? I feel like in some ways Majora was a little bit of a rehash, but the, my my biggest battle with it was the three day cycle. I I thought it was a cool concept. I think it's a little bit much to build a game around, but I think that the feel and maturity level of the game, because I mean it's a sad game, it's mm-hmm. a really sad game. I would put it higher. I would I would I like the feel of Wind Waker more because I just like the whimsical nature maybe of it. So sure, Scott, your closing thought before I make a decision. Yeah, I don't know. They're they're all great games, and uh, I suppose just as far as like objectively comparing games goes, I think Majora's Mask is probably fine at number four. All right, then, uh, boy, I was going to. I was, that was mature. <laughs> I was actually going to side with Scott, so but we'll put Majora's Mask at number four. So, you were going to side with what, me? Yeah, I was going to side with you, mainly to spite Brian, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have blew it by changing your stance. So Majora's Mask. Blew it. Why do I do these podcasts? <laughs> it takes me two years to get up the self-esteem to do it again. <laughs> so Majora's Mask comes in at number four. So now we're down to our top three. We have Breath of the Wild. We have Ocarina of Time and... Frick, I forgot the other one. Wind Waker. Wind Waker. So where do we stand with these guys? I think Scott would put Wind Waker here. Brian, you would put it at number one. What separates this from, like, Ocarina of Time? I wouldn't put Wind Waker as my number one if we're weighing them all against each other. It's my favorite experience, but I wouldn't put it as one. Okay, where would you put it in the top three, then? Three. All right. Well, I'm comfortable with that decision, too, Scott. I feel like you feel the same way about this as I do with Majora's Mask. That... Yeah. There's flaws. I love it, despite its flaws. Right. So we'll put Wind Waker at number three. So now here we are, two games left, Breath of the Wild versus Ocarina of Time, the Nintendo 64 Zelda experience versus the most recent iteration in the Zelda universe. Like, what's number one, guys? I mean, Breath of the Wild. Ocarina of Time. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. How could there be an argument? I agree. I the think argument Breath is of the Wild. Breath of the Wild is a fucking amazing game. It's this huge open world. It reinvented Zelda. It, uh, it, it is didn't so reinvent good. Zelda. It brought Zelda back to Zelda One. That's all it did, and that's and that's not a bad thing. It's Zelda One was very much figured out your world, and that's what this game is. Yeah, that you could said, say it, you could say it reinvented modern Zelda, or at least it's the first one in the 3D games that kind of invoked that uh, spirit of the original. But if it wasn't for the world crafting that the previous games had laid down for me, if you put this a different main character, a different world, with a similar storyline, I don't think I'd have the same factor of, of of love towards it. I just wouldn't. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of what made this game feel so special to me was the like the Zelda aspects of it. Like the certain characters that I knew that were familiar or sounds or you know, music, there are things that are so specifically Zelda. And if it were any other series, I don't feel like it would feel as special as it does. As much as I like Breath of the Wild, I don't feel like it it would have that same oomph. Well, then what so, are we doing with our list here, guys? Should this be lower? Should this be at the number four spot and raise up your two favorite titles, respectively? 
No, I think it still does a lot really amazingly, but just when comparing it to Ocarina of Time, I like I feel like maybe well No, I was going to say maybe it's a better game than Ocarina of Time, but I don't necessarily think so. I think Ocarina is is superb. Storytelling just... from mechanics to ascent, I mean they were they were going into a realm that really didn't have a lot of a lot of guidelines for how to approach it and how to to work within a 3D realm. Hell, they looked at making it a first-person game for a period of time before they scrapped it. That was the original intent. But, like, they had to build something that everybody copied. Not everybody, but, I mean, a, a great majority of developers copied in some manner mechanics that they used, and they made them all up for this game. Like, that's insane. <laughs> Yeah, and I wanted I wanted not try to just put Ocarina of Time because it was so influential and because of nostalgia. I think it legitimately is a phenomenal game, and it's 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 hard to separate those two things, but but I think it it still holds up, honestly. That is fascinating. Like I I kind of assumed that Breath of the Wild would just blow everything away because I know you guys have both have such an affinity for that game and just devoured every moment of it. Yeah, I mm-hmm. I'm going through it on master mode now. We put 120 hours into the first playthrough and now I'm going through master and I'm almost done again, 100%ing it outside of the the Korok seeds, but like yeah, it's I'm in love with it. Yeah, I I feel the same way. It's uh, I, I'm not doing any of the master stuff, but I did almost every single thing I could possibly do. I put like 185 hours in on my first playthrough, and it's it's it is kind of it encapsulates that sense of exploration that Zelda is known for, and so that's why I think it ranks so high. Even though I don't know, just putting putting one next to the other, it's like putting cake next to pie you know they're both <laughs> phenomenal it's just you kind of have a preference for one or the other i have a preference for yeah. pie i like pie too we're the same so to recap our list <laughs> running from worst to best and brian nobody cares what you think recapping our list from worst to best Zelda to the adventure of link the legend of zelda skyward sword Number four was twilight princess right in the middle we had a link to the past then we had wind waker followed by Majora's Mask, and the top two were Breath of the Wild, and the number one best Zelda game of all time is Ocarina of Time. Agreed. Though, oddly enough, the one Zelda game that made me cry at the end wasn't on our list. What was the one Zelda game that made you cry, Ryan? Who here has beat Link's Awakening? It's on my games you, to play now. Do you expect the, us the to raise our hands on. on an audio oh, podcast? <laughs> okay, well then I can't tell you the ending because it'll be a bit of a spoiler then. But Yeah, it's on my um, list of games to play too. And, you know, I would have loved to include some of the handheld options, but boy, nine mainline entries was enough to rank. Is Link's Awakening still good today? Like, they just released the Switch remake of it last year. Worth playing. Yep, Kelsey and I ripped through that. That was a ton of fun. Um as the game goes on, you start to realize the gravity of the decisions that you're making. And when you guys finish that game, let me know. But like at the end of that game, I, I was in sixth grade. I cried like I, and I felt even when I played through it in the most recent iteration, you know, that tightness in your chest when you're like, Oh God, suppress your emotions, be a man, Brian, you can hear your dad's <laughs> voice yelling from you, but from behind, 
that was the same moment I had during that game. I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, this still has an emotional effect on me, and that's that's pretty impressive after this long a time. Mm-hmm. First first Zelda game with Noshigeru Miyamoto too, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it was the second one, or did that come out before Zelda two? Probably after, I think, right? It came out after Link to the Past. That's super weird, but it came out. Oh, really? Yeah, that's yeah. why the timeline so weird to me. Came out in '92, I think, and the other one came out in '91. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Brian, I know you did some research on this, and I kind of stripped it from the show, but did you want to say anything about the timeline for Zelda and how it all fits together? Scott and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. I mean, they're super loose with how the timelines work, but essentially the the, the whole timeline of kind of how Zelda operates, and I'm going to do this in a very abbreviated version, how the timeline of Zelda works is essentially the world, the Skyward Sword is the first version of is the first version of Link and Zelda. So if you're if you're not a big fan of the game, what you maybe don't understand, every single game is a, is well for the most part, outside of a couple, is a different version of Link and Zelda. The the creature demise at the end of Skyward Sword puts a curse on Link and Zelda. Going look, he's like I'm always going to be reincarnated. I'm always going to come back, and I'm always going to attack your bloodlines. Because um, Zelda's actually she's actually descended from a goddess. She's descended from Hylia. So Link just be being closer here once getting pulled into this so the it goes skyward sword and then it goes minish cap four swords and ocarina of time and ocarina of time is after that there's actually a split in the timeline which is super interesting because it happens in different ways which means the, we didn't know what to do <laughs> yeah they, they didn't know what to do but i think it's interesting how they put it together so when link triumphs that is actually separated into two timelines there's one called the adult era this is all the things that happens in this world after link is sent back to being a child and wind waker is one of the things that comes later in in that timeline essentially ganon's like coming back and in an effort to like prevent it the king of hyrule essentially floods the entire world and that's why the entire world is one large ocean with hyrule resting at the bottom of it so Hmm. that's a very interesting thing the other version where he gets sent to back being a child obviously majora's mask winds up occurring Later in that timeline is Twilight Princess and then Four Swords Adventure, which really doesn't have too much canon to it. By the way, also interesting enough, like in the adult era, when we encounter the Rito, the flying bird people, they're descended from the Zoras. They're descended from the fish people of um, of Ocarina of Time, which is odd because you think a world covered in water would be more suiting for a fish, but they grew wings. So whatever. Um, <laughs> but then in the Breath of the Wild, there are Zoras and Rito. Yep, and that's why, the, and that's why they think that this pulls all the timelines back. But like, honestly, they just don't know what to do with it. It's, yeah, that's why. Um, the third timeline also, is the, oh, what are they called? The little wooden people, the Koroks. The They're Koroks. descended from the uh, the forest. The Kokiri. Yeah. yeah, which I also thought was another interesting evolution. <laughs> <laughs> the The final timeline is actually is a dark one. It's it's actually Link gets killed by Ganon, and it's called the Heroes Defeated. And so that's a link to the past, and then it's Link's Awakening. That's after. That's actually the same version of Link in both of those titles. And then later on, much later in that timeline, that's the original Legend of Zelda and Link's Adventure. So, like in Legend of Zelda, the world's like this desolate, like barren place, and it's because Ganon had won all those years ago. So it was. It's super interesting. That is a lot to process in four minutes. Yep. 
There you go. <laughs> I told you to be quick. So we spent roughly two hours talking oh about my God. The Legend of Zelda this afternoon, guys. Uh, do you have any lingering thoughts? Any, If somebody isn't familiar with the series, which how can anyone that's connected with gaming not be familiar with The Legend of Zelda? Like, Where, where do they start in this huge franchise? I guess my opinion is anywhere they'd want to. I mean, a lot of them are fairly well self-contained but i think i would agree with what scott said about ocarina of time if you want to pick up the remaster to that i really don't see how you couldn't enjoy it from weird characters to musical score to the amount of secrets packed in that world into the the breadth of that world it still feels big i think it's an amazing game yeah i think uh whichever one draws your eye first because they you know each of them kind of have the elements of of zelda in them in whichever one you experience first i'm sure you're gonna enjoy and if if you really like that you can continue on and play the other games and this the the timeline i really don't think makes much of a difference nope. they, they kind of thought about it as an afterthought they said well people are asking us questions of how these games fit together so they just kind of made it up so i think wherever you want to jump in is absolutely fine these games are, for the large part, amazing. Wherever you jump in, have a good time. And remember that it was outside is overrated. That's you on that path. I would say I'm just super happy that at this point, Nintendo is going back to that exploration. Let them find their world. There's so many games that got you by the hand. It's like, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. I love the fact that Breath of the Wild lets you know not to do something by having something kill you. <laughs> it's like, oh, I could, I shouldn't do that. Oh, I'm going to put this chest here and put a put a board on it. I'm going to drop a rock on it, stand on the other side. Oh, I go up in the air and I'm dead. Oh, I shouldn't do that. Good. Okay, that goes in my journal. I, nope. I love, I love how they give you that kind of freedom. You should check it. out the Dark Souls games, dude. Like truly, I think you would enjoy them. I like learning it about what I can and can't do. I don't like blunt trial and error. <laughs> that's one thing about retro gaming that drives me crazy. And yeah. not that that's retro, but like, you know, I screwed up by a half a second, so I'm dead. Whoops. Okay. It gets old after the 50th time. I'm a, I mean, I constantly go on the record saying that old games suck. I am thoroughly enjoying going back to Wind Waker, which is a 15-year-old game or so. Like, these games are awesome. Scott, anything, any closing thoughts? Yeah, Wind Waker is one of the ones that, that definitely holds up the best, especially because they chose style over pushing the limits of graphics. And I'm sure the the HD version, some of the changes that they made there help kind of modernize that a little bit more too. Um, but overall, uh, the Legend of Zelda is a great, fantastic series. I don't know what else I can add at this point that we haven't already said. Sure. So. Well, Brian, Scott, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Next month, Joey will be back to talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake and Stonemaier Games. We'll probably have a third host, too. You know, when I laid out the plan for the year, it was still a two-person show, so we'll see how it evolves. Thank you so much for listening to Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting our show on Patreon at patreon.com OIO. That's patreon.com OIO. Follow us on social at ThompsonLogic OIO. Scott, are you ready to plug your things yet? Buy Psycho def- Squirrels on all on Steam, on Google Play, any other platforms for Psycho Squirrels? Uh, those are the main ones. You can also get it on itch.io. But yeah, uh, go for Steam or Google Play Store. 
Um, and if you want to get in contact with me, it's intangiblegame at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at me at intangiblegames. You can also follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids. The jokes fucking haven't changed. It's ridiculous. This is 20 years after high school and they're the same fucking jokes. (laughs) Your mom hasn't changed. Mom jokes are how you show affection. It's not fair when you bring your actual mom into the picture and tell her about the jokes. (laughs) Yeah. I told him it wasn't funny. He learned. (laughs) It's funny to everyone else. (laughs) Well, not to Ben anymore. (laughs) Scott, are you putting on chapstick? What the fuck was that? No. <laughs> I looked at the camera and you like punching your lips. Podcasting makes the man's lips chapped. You guys. <laughs> slapping together so often. Yeah, I'll just drink more whiskey. I literally just texted Phoenix and asking her to bring me more whiskey. So, now, this is going to be a great show, guys. It's going to be great. <laughs>